Well, today we are actually going to cover two chapters in the book of Genesis. Uh, This we will do pretty much in our normal amount of time, though, so don't fret over that. But (laughs) we will be looking at chapters 46 and 47 of Genesis today. So please open your Bibles up there. Jacob, also known as Israel, has heard that his son Joseph is alive and the whole family is about to head down to Egypt now to go meet Joseph and be there with him. And in verse 1 of chapter 46 it says, So Israel took his journey with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Now, here we see that Israel, again, also known as Jacob, and we'll see that name used interchangeably, but we see him here giving honor to God on behalf of two generations before him. Now, why do I say two generations? Well, back when we studied chapter 21 of Genesis, we saw where Abraham Jacob's grandfather, Israel's grandfather, planted a tree, or the King James says a grove, and there Abraham called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And he did so, he planted that grove in that place called Beersheba, where we see Jacob stopping here along his way. Abraham planted that grove there, and it was there that the Bible says that Abraham called on the name of the Lord God, the everlasting God. So again, Israel stops here in Beersheba and honors the God of his father Isaac, but he does so in a place where his grandfather took the time to honor God as well. Now, since I was young in the Lord um, for many years, or I wondered uh, if the generations that come after me, ever since I've given my life to the Lord over the years now, I've always wondered if the generations that come after me, my bloodline, that is, will they remember and honor the Lord, the everlasting God? I was uh, born again and have done all that I've needed to do to pass the name of the Lord the everlasting God, onto my children. But I've always wondered, how long will that last? How long will generations after me honor the Lord? You know, And obviously, I, I'd have no clue as to what that answer is because each and every person has to come to that place within their own heart. Like they say, right? God does not have grandchildren. But it's nice to see... Israel or Jacob here stop and do this in verse 1. Honor the God of his father Isaac and also do it in a place where his grandfather back in Genesis chapter 21 took the time to honor God. So we see that legacy being passed on in the generations here. A legacy of faithfulness and honoring God. Then in verse 2, then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, here I am. So again, Jacob honored the God of his fathers, but we also see that the Lord, the everlasting God, was 
his God as well. It wasn't just something where Israel said or Jacob said, well, I'll honor the God of my father Isaac and the God of my grandfather Abraham. No, this was his God as well. He, he heard from the Lord himself in a personal way. It wasn't just the God of his fathers, okay? And as, as you see, as you see it talk about night visions or visions of the night there in verse 2, That phrase appears two other times in the Old Testament, and both of those times are in the book of Job. Job chapter 20 and Job chapter 23. And in those two instances, it seems to be speaking of a dream. For example, Job chapter 33 verses 14 and 15 says, For God may speak in one way or in another, yet man does not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men while slumbering on their beds. So what I'm pointing out to you here is that this vision of the night being spoken of here in verse 2 is most likely a dream that Jacob had. Other times in the Bible when you see the word vision being used by itself, right, it might not be a dream. Um, But here it specifies that it happened in the night, associating it with a dream. But nonetheless, the Lord, the everlasting God, speaks with Jacob here. And God says to Jacob in verse 3, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. Now let's pause right there again. Because God is, first of all, simply comforting Jacob here. Jacob is leaving the homeland. He's leaving the promised land. That's where he's coming out of. of. Why would this be? Why would God allow this, right? So this might not make too much sense to Jacob from a spiritual standpoint. He may be looking at this like it's difficult to leave Canaan. It's, It's difficult to leave this place that God has promised to me. I know this is where I belong. I know this is where my people belong. But here we are in a situation where we're forced to leave that place. But God has a plan. And in that plan, He will use this time that they will spend in Egypt to make a great nation out of this people. Simply meaning that they will grow immensely as a people group. There will be many of them from the family of Israel that will be born in Egypt, but they will always be Israelites, as we will continue to see as we go through the Bible. Even though they will be born in Egypt, a large amount of them, they will always be considered Israelites. The Lord God continues in verse 4 and says, I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Now there we see two promises from God. One is that he will be with them as they go down to Egypt, but he will also be with them to bring them up out of Egypt again, which we will be studying when we get to the book of Exodus. But the Lord, the everlasting God, is also comforting Jacob here by assuring him that he will be in Joseph's presence. He will see his son again when they get to Egypt, the son that he thought was dead. 
You see, sometimes though, things don't always work out in the way that we think they should. Even when we are trusting in God on a daily basis, God may move us or God may change our circumstances and it may be uncomfortable for us. But in it all, God has a plan. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. But it might not always appear to make sense to us the way things are working out or the way things happen in this life. Why leave a place you think you belong to go somewhere else to be a stranger? That's what's happening Israel's family here. But God knows all and sees all, and He's always working things together for good for those that are called according to His purpose. So that's what we see happening here in Jacob's life. Then in uh, then verse 5 says, Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones and their wives, in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. Now, if you were here last week, we studied that where God had provided for them these carts and all of their provision for Joseph to go ahead and send down uh, or up to Canaan to go get his father and all the family that were there and all the children, children and everything. And Pharaoh had Joseph send the finest carts, right? So Jacob's kind of riding in style on down to Egypt here. It's like being in a limousine today. That's the kind of carts these were. It was the finest that Pharaoh had, right, for that day. Riding in a limo, pulling a bunch of animals behind you, right? (laughs) So they took their livestock. I say pulling a bunch of animals behind you because verse 6 here says, so they took their livestock and their goods which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons, and his sons' daughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. Now, what we see there in verses 6 and 7 is a man that is completely surrendering to the will of the Lord. He didn't leave a few people behind. He didn't leave a few livestock behind and such, right? He left no trace of himself or his family in Canaan. He was completely committed to where God was leading him. Again, don't think that this was easy for Jacob. Sometimes when you read through stuff like this, you think, okay, you can read it pretty quickly and it seems like an easy situation. But there's a lot going on. This was probably not easy for Jacob. He was old. And he was already in the promised land. He was already in the place where God told him his people were going to be. And now he's being forced to uproot and to leave, right? He most likely wanted to stay there and die there. Why couldn't Joseph take the time to come up to Canaan from Egypt and supply them their needs there, right? But this wasn't the plan of God. Egypt was going to be the place where the people of Israel would grow to be a great nation. And Jacob was acting upon faith and moving all that he had out of the promised land. Then in verses 8 through 27 here, we have a list of all the people 
that Jacob took with him. The Bible takes time to record all these people. There were 66 people in all that Jacob took with him. And there are some very important people in this list as it pertains to our future Bible studies and also as it pertains to Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, of course, came from the, the line of the tribe, right, if, of Judah. And his name is mentioned in this list. But I'm not going to read all of these names to you this morning, and I'm not really going to do a study on them here. Just know that there were 66 that took this journey with Jacob and them. And that over the next 400 years, there will be 2 million of them born in the land of Egypt. So God will fulfill his promise to make them a great nation of people. There will be over 2 million of them that will be born in Egypt. And if you skip down to verse 27, it tells us, And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob who went to Egypt were 70. So again, if you're following the math here, Jacob took 66 people with him. And then Joseph already had two children while, you know, at this point in time, his two children were Manasseh and Ephraim. So that makes 68 Israelites. And then if you count Jacob and Joseph, you come up to the 70 that are mentioned here in verse 27. Then speaking of Jacob, verse 28 says, Then he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen. So all that is telling us is that Judah went ahead to get some directions. He went ahead on horse, I'm sure. And then he came back and he led them to this land called Goshen. Now, he needed to get directions because these limo carts weren't equipped with GPS back at that time, right? But it was Judah that would lead them into this land of Goshen, which was a, a fertile land, a land of abundance. And we'll see that as we go on. But again, from the tribe of Judah, when you think about that, Judah, Jacob sends Judah forward to go get directions from Joseph, comes back with those directions, and then Judah is the one that will lead them to this land of Goshen, this land of abundance. And again, Judah, from the line of Judah, would ultimately come the Messiah, Jesus, the one that is today leading us into the land of spiritual abundance. So we get a little snapshot of there from Judah, from what ultimately will come from that line. So verse 29 says, though, that Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face because you still, because you are still alive. Now, this is a very powerful, very emotional reunion here, to say the least, right? Back earlier in some verses, we saw where God told Jacob that his son would put his hand on his eyes, right? So I can just picture Joseph's hands on Jacob's face here, 
caressing his father, hugging him and weeping on his neck, touching him and being so happy to see him, not wanting him, not wanting to let him go after all of these years that they've been apart. His father Israel says, now let me die since I have seen your face because you, you are still alive. And if you remember back in chapter 42, we studied in verse 36 when Jacob slash Israel learned that Simeon, his other son, was being held in prison in Egypt. He was very bereaved. He proclaimed how he had lost Joseph and now Simeon. And he, and, and he cried out, Jacob cried out and said, all these things are against me. We studied that back in chapter 42. But now we, it's different. He's happy as can be. So happy that he's saying, if I were to die now, it's all good. Everything is fulfilled. But he won't die yet. He will still live another 17 years. But what a wonderful reunion we are seeing here. Verse 31, Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, My brothers and those of my father's house who were in the land of Canaan, have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for their occupation has been to feed livestock, and they have brought their flocks, their herds, and all that they have. So what Joseph is doing here is giving his family the plan as to how he is going to handle this situation with Pharaoh. He wants them to know what he is going to say, and ultimately what they should say to Pharaoh as well. Then verse 33, so it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation that you shall say your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth even till now, both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptian, Joseph, Joseph tells them there, right? So they're obviously going to just go to Pharaoh and pretty much tell him the truth about who they are and what they do. But they also wouldn't mind having the opportunity to go off to this land of Goshen by themselves and make their living because Goshen was the best of the land in all of Egypt. We'll, we'll read that here shortly. Goshen was the best land in all of Egypt. It would be better for all involved if they would go off to that land and do that since the Egyptians despised being around people like they were. Sheep herders and people that own livestock. The Egyptians despised those people. Then verse 1 of chapter 47 says, Then Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers, their flocks and their herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan, and indeed they are in the land of Goshen. I switched over to chapter 47 there. Now keep in mind here how Joseph has set all of this up. He knew Goshen was the best of the land. And when Judah came to get directions from him, where did he send them? He sent them to the land of Goshen. So now he is before Pharaoh letting Pharaoh know that they've arrived in Egypt and they're over there waiting in the land of Goshen. So Joseph is very wise in the way he does things here. 
He is a man of great wisdom. And that is why he was in the position that he was in, in the land of Egypt. And still speaking of Joseph, verse 2 says, And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. Now, of course, when they say fathers there, they are referring to the fact that their father Jacob was a shepherd, as was their grandfather Isaac, and as was their great-grandfather Abraham. All their, It's been in their family. This has been the line of work for this family. Verse 4, And they said to Pharaoh, We have come down to dwell in the land because your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now therefore, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. So that's why I said earlier that Goshen was the best in the land, right? The best land there. Verse, uh, the verse continues there in verse 6, And if you know any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my, over my livestock as, as well, right? So what a deal here. Like I said, they got the best of the land. They would now begin to grow greatly in this land. And all of this because of the favor that was upon Joseph. We can't forget that. By his wisdom, he saved the land of Egypt. And, and much of the world at that time, he saved because of the famine, or from the famine, I should say. Now, Pharaoh even wants these people, the Israelites, the family of Joseph, to take care of his livestock as well. So they have gone from famine to feast. You've heard the saying, we go from feast to famine, right? They have gone from famine to feast, from great loss to having great gain. And it would remain this way for them as long as Joseph was alive and ruling over them. We will find when we get to the book of Exodus that that will all change. Joseph will die and a new Pharaoh will come into place. And that Pharaoh will not remember Joseph and he will not treat the children of Israel well. Then Joseph, verse 7, brought his fathers to Jacob and set him before Pharaoh and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, how old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their pilgrimage. So we see a couple of things here. For one, Jacob slash Israel realizes that the days he had on the earth were nothing more than a pilgrimage. He knew that he was just passing through. And the fact of the matter is, is that that is the case for all of us. There was a first day of your life and there will be a last day of your life. There is a recorded date of our birth. Mine is December 7th, 1964. 
and that would be my birth certificate. But I'm also going to have a, a, death, a death certificate someday that will have a date on it as well. And we're all just passing through. The important thing is not where we are, but where are we going? That's what matters the most. Where is this pilgrimage leading us to? What is the end? Where do we go to from here? Now, the other thing that Jacob says there in verse 9 is, Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their pilgrimage. Now, this is a statement here from a heart of humility. He doesn't consider himself greater than his fathers who were before him. Again, he was a man who honored them. You see, his grandfather, Abraham, lived 175 years. And his father, Isaac, lived 180 years. At this point in time, Jacob is 130 years old, as he says here, but he is deflecting the attention off of himself and onto his fathers. And we'll see that Jacob will die, and when he does die, he'll be 147 years old. So he's not going to live as long as his father and grandfather did, and that's all he's simply stating here. Then in verse 10, so Jacob blessed Pharaoh, and went out from before Pharaoh. Now this is the second time we see it mentioned that Jacob blessed Pharaoh. This is actually pretty amazing since Jacob is a shepherd and Pharaoh was considered a god by his people. Later, when we get back to the book of Exodus, we will find that there will be another Pharaoh after Joseph is dead is dead and gone, like I mentioned earlier. Again, this, this Pharaoh will be threatened by the number of Israelites that there are. They have grown so big by that point in number. Again, over two million of them. And this Pharaoh will treat them harshly, to say the least. He will act as if he is greater than these people, but he will find out, though, This Pharaoh, the next Pharaoh will find out through a man named Moses that he's not greater than these people, that the God of the Israelites is greater than all. But for now, they're still under this first Pharaoh that was in Joseph's life. And the story continues, verse 11. And Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them possession in the land of Egypt in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Now, don't be confused here because Goshen and Ramses Ramses are the same place. In verse 6, we see the phrases used, the best of the land, as it speaks to Goshen. And here we see the phrase used, the best of the land, as it was speaking of Ramses. We'll see in future Bible studies that the land of Goshen will be referred to also as Ramesses as well. So it's the same place. When the children of Israel begin their exodus out of Egypt, it will record that they'll be coming out of Ramesses, but we know that it's also called Goshen where they are. The important thing to see here this morning, though, is, is how God is providing for them right now, right, in the years of Jacob's pilgrimage. Then verse 12 says, Then Joseph provided his father 
his brothers, and all his father's household with bread according to the number in their families. Okay, so the famine is still raging on, right? And Joseph has just provided, though, for his family what he could, but things are getting very, very lean for the rest of the people in the land. And verse 13 says, Now there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought. And Joseph bought or brought the money into Pharaoh's house. Okay, so just to be clear on what's happening here, there is a treasury of money that has been gathered from all the people that have been purchasing grain from Joseph since the famine began. Joseph gathers this money and moves it into Pharaoh's house. But we will now see that the people will run out of money. Let's read on, verse 15. So the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan. All the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us bread. For why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. So pause right there at verse 15. Because what we see here is that the people wanted something for nothing. They wanted a welfare system, if you will. We have nothing and we want the government to give us something. Then Joseph said in verse 16, Give your livestock and I will give you bread for your livestock if the money is gone. So they didn't have money to buy food, but Joseph wasn't going to give them food stamps if they had things of value in their possession. Today there are people on food stamps that drive cars worth thousands of dollars, right? Wearing shoes and clothing that cost hundreds of dollars. Remember, Joseph is a wise man. And a wise man does not let someone have something for nothing. Cash in your goods because no one has the right to get something for nothing. And that's what we see Joseph doing here. And if you're really all that hungry, you'll do whatever it takes to get some food. You know, he's not going to give them something for nothing. Verse 17, what did the people do? So they brought their livestock to Joseph. And Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the cattle of the herds, and for the donkeys. Thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. So again, they gave something. They didn't get something for nothing. They gave something and they got something in return. Let's see what happens. Verse 18. When that year had ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord also has our herds of livestock. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. So they gave all. But because of the famine, they still lacked. Now, that's an important thing to keep in mind here, the fact that there was a famine in the land. We don't live in a a land of famine right now. We live in a land of plenty, where there's plenty to do if a person will just apply themselves 
and get up and do something, right? There's so much to contribute to make our land even more prosperous, so much that people should give to our land, right? But if we keep giving people something for nothing, we are doing nothing more than oppressing people and causing them to be reliant upon the government. Again, we see that Joseph in his wisdom wouldn't do that. Joseph, a man of God, shows that he wasn't going to let this happen, happen in the land of Egypt. But again, these people how have now given all they have. They've done so, and, and they still lack. So they came back to Joseph again. And in verse 19, we're told, they, they say, why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread. And we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. So do you see what these people want to do? They want to work for their money. They want to get out and they want to plant and they want to grow and they want to make the land better. They want to give back. Again, this should be how our welfare system works today. It's a perfect plan found in the Word of God. And we need a government today that sees the importance of people working for what they have and not just getting something for nothing. There is politics that oppress people today and cause them to stay down and causes decline. And there are politics that can advance our country. And what our country has begun to do in recent years has caused our country to decline, okay? And, but we see that a plan right here in the Word of God that says people need to work. People need to step up. People need to give. They need to give back to the land. There's something that they can do. So Joseph, what did Joseph do? Verse 20, then Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh for every man of the Egyptians sold his field, because the famine was severe upon them. So the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he moved them into the cities from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end. Only the land of the priest he did not buy, for the priest had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh, and they ate their rations which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. So the priests were already provided for in that way. Then Joseph, verse 23, said to the people, Indeed, I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. So again, he's saying, look, here's some work for you to do. Right? They didn't get something for nothing. Verse 24, And it shall come to pass in harvest that you shall give one-fifth to Pharaoh. Four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and for your food, for those of your households, and as food for your little ones. So Joseph devised a plan to feed them by making them work. And then from the fruit of their labor they would give back 20% to Pharaoh. 80% would belong to them to take care of their families. Today, many people on welfare don't even take care of their families. They just buy more and more stuff, right? Joseph told them to use their goods 
to provide for their house and for their little ones, we see here. Now, at this point, the people have a choice. They could rebel against the plan. They could go out and protest in the streets and riot and such, right? Or they could be thankful that there was a plan, that there was something that they could do. And what did, what did they do? Verse 25 tells us, so they said, you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord and we will be Pharaoh's servants. So they made a good choice here. They had thankful hearts. They saw that they, they had opportunity to, to, to live, to move on, right? And they were ready to go to work. Verse 26 And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt to this day that Pharaoh should have one-fifth except for the land of the priest only, which did not become Pharaoh's. Now, I looked it up, and in the land of Egypt, it's actually 25% today that they give. So there's a a 5% increase from way back in this time, you know. But that's how Joseph, this wise man, did his job. And he made sure that the land of Egypt did not become desolate. And it was a very good plan that he put together here. And we should today care enough about our nation that we should pray for our nation. And we should also vote in such a manner that there will be a man that steps up for this nation and leads this nation wisely so that we do not become desolate. right. Now, what about the Israelites, though? We just saw how Joseph dealt with the, those in the land of Egypt. What about the Israelites, God's people? How was it going to be with them? Because it's a wise man that cares for Israel, right? So Israel, verse 27, dwelt in the land of Egypt in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. Now notice something there in verse 27. When it uses the name Israel, it's not speaking of the man this time. It's speaking of the people. Right? Remember, all this time we've been seeing the name Israel used and it's been referring to Jacob. But now it's speaking of the people. And God was going to make a great nation out of them in the land of Egypt. Yes, Israel was a man, but from that man came a people. And these people still exist today, and they still are a nation today as well. And make no mistake about it, they are still God's people, God's chosen people. And today, as believers in Jesus Christ, you and I have become God's people as well, but only because we have been grafted into the family of God. Let's finish out this chapter, verse 28. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Now if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Now, just real quickly here, I won't get into this too much. You can study it further on your own. But the putting of the hand under the thigh of someone else was just a way of taking an oath. It was the custom of their day. But Jacob pleads with his son, Joseph, here. And he says at the end of verse 29 there, Please 
Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me die with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. Then he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. So the man Israel wanted to be sure that he was buried back in the promised land. The land that God had promised to Abraham and his descendants. This was important to Jacob because he knew that he was the heir to the promise. Remember, Jacob had a twin brother named Esau from whom also would come a great nation of people, a large group of people. But the land wasn't to belong to them. It wasn't going to belong to the descendants of Esau. It would belong to the descendants of Jacob, to Israel. But what a wonderful story we see in all of this. God's provision for his people. He always has and he always will take care of those that love him, that call upon his name, the Lord, the everlasting God, right? We learn so much from the pages of scripture and we we would be wise to take heed to it and apply it to our own lives. We cannot defy the word of God and expect for it to be well with us. This applies to us as individuals, and it also applies to our nation and to our government as well. We cannot defy the Word of God and expect it to be well with us, right? The first thing that we need to do as individuals is make ourselves right with God, and this is done through faith in Jesus Christ. The second thing we need to do is to be a wise people and care for the well-being of our nation and others around us, to make sure that our land does not become desolate. We need to get back to following the principles that we find in the Word of God, the pages of our Bible. We cannot let ungodliness rule in our lives as individuals, nor can we let ungodliness rule in our land, right? Not if we profess to be of the family of God. And we need to care about these things because, again, in our nation, we see it becoming desolate. Every day, it's declining. More and more laws are being passed that spit in the face of God and His Word. And and, and immorality is becoming something good. And morality is becoming something bad. But in the pages of Scripture, there's a plan throughout that we see God working in the lives of people. Again, that we would be wise if we would take heed to the Word of God and apply it to our own lives. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, thank you again for your holy Word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who teaches us. Thank you, Lord, that your Word is profitable to us for instruction in righteousness. It's profitable to us for correction, for rebuke, for exhortation. God, what will we do with your word, though? That's all that matters. What will we do as individuals? Will we take heed to it? Will we have a thankful heart? Will we approach your word with reverence and honor? And will will we decide to, to, to live in accordance with your word, or will we go in the way of the world around us? Lord, I pray 
that your word would continue to work in our hearts and minds, that your will would be done in our lives above all else. We thank you for the opportunity to gather again here around your word this morning. And we pray your will to be done in our lives in the coming week. In Jesus' name, amen.